Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. How wonderful it is to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today a peculiar item, although not an unfamiliar item for those of the Catholic faith. From time to time, we get religious items and relics, and over here in this section, we keep our religious artifacts and religious pieces, and if you'll notice, this section here, a collection of thurible. Of course, this is an incense-burning device made of brass, swung from a chain during Mass and other Catholic events. As you can see, they come in various shapes and sizes, but this one in particular over here, if you'll notice, there's a little bit of extra charring to it. It does seem like it has some dents in the brass. This has seen some very turbulent times. And if I'm not mistaken, is that a tinge of red, blood red? that I see in that one dent. Oh, the things this thurible must have seen and gone through, and probably events not unlike that of which we are going to talk about on today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, The Nun 2. So, The Nun 2 came out this past weekend, and for, for some reason, I was actually kind of looking forward to it. I can't say I was excited about it, because the original Nun that came out in 2018 I just wasn't that good of a movie for me. It was a good idea, and, you know, when you get anything that James Wan is behind with the Conjuring universe, uh, you know, you, you always have expectations for it. But The Nun, like I said, it, it had some good ideas. It just wasn't terribly well executed. Uh, there was a lot that I, I really liked. I liked the lore behind it. I liked the idea of this demon Volok who is, is trapped in this convent. And I, I liked the idea of it breaking free. I, I liked the characters. I liked Father Burke. I liked Sister Irene. I liked Frenchie. I, I liked the, all the actors that played these characters. But I think they just didn't know what to do with some of these characters. Or they didn't have enough story. So you had the little side story about Father Burke and his son and getting buried alive. And it really had no bearing on the rest of the story. And it was just kind of a hot mess. And, and quite quite boring uh, for, a, for a horror movie. Uh, now, the, again, there were some things I did like. I did like the, the and, and this is a spoiler for The Nun 1, so if you haven't watched that, you, you might want to stop right now. Uh, but uh, I, I like the reveal that the nuns in this convent were dead all along, and that this is all like just apparitions and and visions and, and things like that. So that was kind of an interesting twist. But but all in all, I just found myself terribly bored with the movie. Good ideas, a lot of interesting characters, 
uh, just like I said, not very well executed. So you would think that being said, I wouldn't be excited at all about The Nun 2. And, and like I said, I wasn't excited, but I was quite interested because I think the character of The Nun itself, uh, played by Bonnie Ahrens, who I think does a, a, a fantastic job in this this role where she's really limited as an actress. It is more the look and the demeanor uh, of this character that really you have to sell the creepiness and the scariness all through that. Uh, there's no real dialogue or anything like that. But this this demon Volok who takes the shape of the nun, it's a scary idea. And a lot of the imagery behind that and the sacrilege behind that, I think, is stuff that some really good horror could be made out of it. Now, did they do that with The Nun 2? Because it really... Uh, it didn't work with The Nun 1. And, and not so much that the character didn't work, because I think the character works. Uh, it's just what you do with it. And I think in the first The Nun movie, it was just a lot of really shitty jump scares. And it, I just, I, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really tired of the loud sound effect, loud noise, loud music sting, and a jump cut, and and it's more startling me than actually scaring me. And that really is what The Nun felt like a, a lot of. Uh, and, and I was hoping they wouldn't do that. I was hoping they would get away from that. And judging by one of the scenes that they showed in the trailer, which we'll, we'll get to in a little bit, the, the magazine scene, uh, if you've if you've watched the trailer, you, that's no spoiler. But I thought they're, they're going to be doing some hopefully interesting things with this character. So, like I said, not excited about it, but uh, moderately interested in what they were going to do with this with this story. And the fact that the story is from uh, Kayla Cooper, who I just, I love her as a screenwriter. She is one of my uh, up-and-coming favorite screenwriters because she's done so many interesting stories like Malignant. I thought, you know, no matter what you thought about the film and the execution of the film, I thought the the story was really good. And I think one of the things that Kayla Cooper does really well is create characters that you you sympathize with, you empathize with, you can relate to. She did the same thing with Megan. Uh, you really cared about the aunt and the little girl and their relationship. Um, the Nun 2 was pretty much the same thing because you had two sets of characters and two separate storylines and, and you cared about all of them. You cared about all the characters. And I think that is, you know, one of the, one of the most important things about doing a horror movie is that you have to make characters that your audience cares about. You care about what happens to them. And that just heightens the stakes for whatever horror you are going to be putting on the screen. So I think Akila Cooper does a wonderful job with that and was really excited to see her name attached to this with this story and, and the screenwriting. So that was a plus right there. And Michael Shavs directed this. And I, I'm not terribly familiar with his work, but I know he's done a couple other movies in the Conjuring universe, La Llorona. He's done the uh, third Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It. In the interest of transparency, I have not seen either of those movies because the Conjuring universe is something, uh, something of a love-hate relationship I, I have with this uh, franchise because I either love the movies or I really don't like them at all. 
and have no interest in watching them. Like the first Conjuring movie I thought was really good. Uh, the second one, uh, I don't really remember much about it. I know I saw it, but I don't remember much about it. So that's, I suppose that's not a very good thing. The first Annabelle movie, I thought that was good. And then it just seemed like as soon as the second one and the third one came out. And I've, I know some people uh, like them. Some people don't. Uh, you know, some people have their favorites. Uh, to me, they just didn't seem interesting. Now, it's probably a situation where I'm going to have to go back and, and maybe finish watching all those series so I can get the complete picture of the Conjuring universe. But suffice to say, I'm not aware of how well or or how not so good that uh, Michael Shaw's entries in the Conjuring universe have gone. But... You know, he is a, a director that I've heard good things about, uh, especially with The Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It. I've heard some good things about that. So I, I was interested to see, you know, what he was going to bring to the table with The Nun 2. Because this is a completely different writer and writing team and a completely different director from the first movie. And before we get too spoilery, I, I've got to say I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first one, which, I, like I said, it, it had some good ideas, just not well executed. And I came out feeling like, eh, I, I don't see what all the fuss is about. When when I finished watching The the Nun back in, in 2018, and I rewatched it here recently and still felt the same way. I got terribly bored. I think I may even dozed off somewhere in the middle of it all but like i said had some some interesting ideas not well executed this movie the nun 2 was so much better the story it's actually got a story i care about it's got characters i care about and it's not that i didn't care about the the two main characters actually three main characters when you're talking about father burke and sister irene and frenchie uh maurice yeah it's not that i didn't care about them but i didn't care about anybody else there was no one else to care about really just a bunch of creepy nuns that turned out to be all dead to begin with uh, so this one actually had a story and like I said uh, Akila Cooper did a wonderful job creating characters that that I really enjoyed watching and I cared about I wanted them to to turn out well because they they were likable and there were stakes involved with this that, that you really didn't get in that first movie and I thought it had some really good scares. I mean, and it wasn't full of scares, and there were a lot of jump scares, but I think for the most part, the jump scares were all within the context of the action of the scene. There was a lot of fake jump scares. There wasn't a lot of just, just playing a big loud sound effect or a big loud music sting just to startle you. I mean, they did have some of that, but the imagery on the screen was just as startling and just as as fright inducing so it had that going for it as well so if you haven't watched the nun 2 go check it out and then come back and see what my thoughts are on it and see if you know i have the same ideas that you had about this or, or maybe we'll have completely different ideas but uh, go watch the movie come back but until then we are going to get into some spoilery territory so uh, for those of us who've seen it and those of us that don't care about spoilers we're going to trek on so the nun 2 picks up and we're not going to do this kind of play-by-play -play, but i do want to kind of set the scene of where we start this off at it is a a not too distant future uh, after the events of the nun father burke has died of 
of cholera. So he's no longer in the picture, but we meet Irene. She's working at a convent where the nuns tell, some of the older nuns tell stories of this uh, convent that uh, this demon appeared at and this father and this nun defeated this demon and nobody realizes it's his sister Irene and she just kind of sits back and listens to the tales uh, being told about her but and saying nothing so that was kind of interesting Uh, we we meet her there Uh, there is a sister Deborah played by Storm Reed if you're not familiar with Storm Reed uh, and you watch uh, the Last of Us. She was actually in a in an episode of that, the Left Behind episode. She played Riley, the love interest to Ellie, and does a really good job with uh, with that character. Did a really good job with this character, Deborah. Although I I just don't think they knew what to do with this character. It, it felt, and I hate to say this, and and I don't say this lightly. It, it's not. I, I think Keila Cooper created this character. Because it adds some diversity to the cast, which which I'm not, you know, I have no problem with that. And they wanted Sister Irene to have a sidekick. They gave her a bit of a backstory and then never really went anywhere with it. I, I just don't know as if there was enough time to really do this character justice. And I think that's probably my biggest problem with the character. Because you set up that she's kind of pushed into the the nun ship, the nunnery, uh, the convent, uh, because her father, you know, facing racism where they're from. And this is set in the 50s. You know, I, that's an interesting backstory. Her brothers went off to, to join the army. And so her father sent her off to be a nun. And if, if they can serve the country, she, she can serve God. A very interesting backstory. And you almost, they, they play into this character, Deborah, that she doesn't have uh, very much faith. And at the very end, I guess you're supposed to assume that she, her faith has been restored, but they really don't do a good job of, of making that obvious. And I, I just wish her arc would have been a little more interesting in her development of faith. You know, she's she's witnessing all these things, but there is never really that aha moment that uh, she she's finally got the faith she's been lacking because of of what she's experienced. I, I I really wish they would have done a better job with this character and and the arc they they set in place for her because uh, there's a lot of interesting things they could have done. And they just didn't do it. The, the focus was on Sister Irene and Volok, which those are the stars of the show. But I, I just felt like the Deborah character didn't get her fair due as a character. Now, the actress, like I said, uh, Storm Reed does a really good job with this character. She's really likable. And she is, uh, you know, I was worried that she was going to come across too modern and not like 1950s, uh, but but I think she really did good in in playing, you know, somebody of that era. Not a great job, but I thought she did a good job with playing somebody that didn't, like I said, set in the 50s. They should they should have that feel about them and not feel too modern. And and I thought she did a a, a fine job of walking that line of being. You know, being a being upbeat, being a, a spitfire of a character. You know, she's she's put up with some shit in her life because of the color of her skin, and she doesn't seem like somebody that's gonna take shit. 
And and so I like that aspect. It's a nice juxtaposition with her and Irene, who is a, a different kind of rebellious character, but more more reserved, more your stereotypical nun. So I, I really like the idea of the two together. Uh, like I said, I just don't think the Deborah character. I don't think the story was fleshed out to the degree it should have, or, or given the arc it should have had. Now, Sister Irene, that role reprised by Teisa Formiga, and she does a, a wonderful job with this character. Uh, I, I love that her sister, Vera Formiga, plays the uh, the role of Lorraine Warren in, in the Conjuring movies. But Teisa Formiga plays uh, the, the role of Sister Irene really well, because I, I like this character because... She really did have a good arc from the from the first movie to the second movie because the first movie she's kind of the uh, the apprentice she's the tag along she is the sidekick and she gains strength through her battle with Volok and her work with Father Burke and and now she's in kind of in the Father Burke role where the Vatican is coming to her to find out how to defeat this this demon that's kind of uh, reared its ugly head again. And now we've got her and the Deborah character as the the tag along and the sidekick and the the apprentice, if you will, in in fighting demons. And I, I like how you know she has that arc from wide eyed innocent to now she's the grizzled veteran, the demon fighting veteran, and she plays that strength of of somebody who can take on a demon uh but she also has that vulnerability that uh, you know you you care about this character and you worry about this character is she going to be able to 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 take on this demon and, and win the day so both actresses wonderful jobs you've got that storyline where they're essentially trying to track down this demon. You've got Volok going around and killing people in the priesthood across the country, starting from Romania, working their way west through Europe. And they're doing kind of a a murder mystery, an investigation type story. You've got the second storyline, which I probably for me was one of the more interesting and enjoyable storylines where you have the Maurice character, again reprised by Jonas Blockett. He's kind of like the maintenance man or the handyman, kind of taking care of things at this boarding school. You've got the character Kate, played by Anna Popowell. You probably remember her from the Chronicles of Narnia movie. Uh, she is a teacher there. And uh, when I first saw her, I was like, what is this, Dollar Store Amelia Clark? And then I actually realized who it was. Uh, she does kind of have a... Uh, an Amelia Clark vibe to her, a look to her face. But but like I said, she plays a teacher there. And we're also introduced to her daughter, uh, Sophie, played by Caitlin Rose Downey. And she's a young actress who, like, she looked familiar. I, I don't know where I've seen her before, but... When I look up her bona fides, uh, I, I don't recall seeing any of the movies that she's been in. So I, I don't know where I've seen her before, but uh, a wonderful young actress that I I really look forward to seeing her in more movies as she grows and gets older and, and gets better at the craft because she's already pretty good uh, as a young actress. But uh, I really like this storyline because you have this single mom, Kate, with this little girl, Sophie. Uh, there's kind of a side story of her being bullied by some of the older girls, probably because 
you know, she's a teacher's kid and, and that they don't really get into the, the whys, but you get to see some of the bullying and it plays into the horror, but she really likes Maurice uh, and, and is trying essentially to get, you know, trying to not parent trap them, but trying to get her uh, mom and him hooked up because he's kind of a father figure to her and and they just uh, all three of them but but especially Sophie and Maurice uh, have a real sweet relationship and and that's kind of fun and it really makes you care about these characters uh, you know I heard some people say like the first act or the first half hour 20 minutes of the movie they were bored out of their minds but you needed all that character development you needed all the you know the story and the backstory and and seeing these characters just being themselves and and being happy and taking care of one another and loving one another the mom to the daughter the daughter to to the mom the daughter to maurice and trying to get her mom and and maurice to see that they like each other and and you need all that to care what happens to these characters when the shit hits the fan later on and, and i really enjoyed that i thought uh, jonas bloquette does a fantastic job with maurice he was one of the characters i thought was going to get killed off in this first movie i was glad he didn't and then when you see that he's got the inverted cross kind of like embedded in his skin at the end of that first movie, you know that he's possessed by Volok. And and that's, that's really how things start off because he is still possessed with Volok. And these two entities where you got Sister Irene and Deborah, you've got Maurice kate and sophie and they're all on a collision course when you know sister irene and deborah finally realize what's going on and get to the boarding school and find out what has been happening with maurice and volick uh, wreaking havoc throughout the boarding school now the rest of the story i mean it really does kind of play out how you would expect there's no real interesting or complex twists and turns uh i think what really works for this movie is the fact that there are some really scary scenes or at least i thought they were really scary you might uh be so jaded even more so than i that, that nothing phases you or or you may have thought some of some of the scariest stuff uh, known to man who, who knows but i i thought they really set up some interesting things and some scary scenes i mean from the beginning of the movie you had that that scene with the the priest and the little kid and him sending him down to the basement to get the the wine and the soccer ball and that rolling out of the darkness. I tell you what, some filmmaker, maybe probably from The Changeling with uh, George C. Scott, uh, the idea of a ball rolling towards somebody from from nowhere with with no one there to do it uh, has become one of the hallmarks of some scary shit in horror movies. And especially when you have uh, a great scene like you have with the kid down in the basement where you have this empty doorway leading into a dark room and all it is is this black void uh, beyond the door and this ball rolling out or, or waiting for the ball to roll out. And it's just, it, it's such a good scene. I think Michael Shaw's did a really good job with this scene and being patient. Like he waited just a little bit longer than he needed to. And and it's that sort of patience that really builds tension and 
and just gets you kind of leaning forward on the edge of your seat, wondering what's going to burst out of that. And and nothing does. And I think that's the brilliance of that. It's the patience not to show anything too soon. But then when they have that scene inside the, the church where Volok is essentially showing up and attacks the priest with a thurible, that was, uh, that was brutal. And then the priest kind of being levitated into the air and bursting on fire was just, that was brutal. That was brutal to watch. People bursting into flames like that. I think we probably learned that best from St. Maud. Uh, I'm sure they've done it in other movies before then, but that probably to me was one of the, one of the times that just really struck me as terrifying. Uh, even you just get the briefest glimpses of it, but but I think we've seen it more and more in, in recent films. I think because of the sheer shock factor that that Saint Maud, uh, with that, just like I said, the briefest uh, uh, glimpses of it, but it was disturbing enough, and and this was definitely disturbing, and that's why that whole first scene, and even beyond the the beating with the thurible and the the catching on fire, that. That banging and the the anticipation leading up to what is going to happen was just done very well. That, to me, was one of the scarier scenes and a, a great way to set off the movie. I, I think another really scary scene for me was another chapel scene where the little girls uh, trick Sophie into going to this chapel that's been chained up because you know they're saying it's it just in ruins and she walks into that that chapel and you see this statue that's covered by like a shroud this this blanket and you can just tell it's moving a little bit and then at some point like a head turns inside of it and i don't know about you but that to me is one of the creepiest things Going back to like Halloween, that scene with Bob where Michael Myers kills him and then puts on the sheet in Bob's glasses and, and comes back to the room where, where Linda is, uh, that just to me is one of the freakiest things. I it, it freaked me out as a kid. It still freaks me out to this day. Uh, seeing somebody in a sheet or, or something covered in a sheet moving that shouldn't move Things like that. It, I guess maybe it, it is that traditional sense of a ghost. This formless uh, apparition that you can't see with something that you can see hanging over top of it. Uh, there's just something about that that scares the shit out of me. Uh, maybe... Yeah, for all the things that don't really scare me, that does. And and that to me was one of the creepier scenes. And then of course when when Sophie gets left alone up in this room with the stained glass window and then that that fear of being an attic or a basement by yourself and and the terror that something might be behind you uh, that really uh, played into to my personal fears and speaking of the the stained glass window there was one bit of cool lore that i thought they did really well with this and and part of me wants to say that you know it, it was too much uh, especially when it comes to fruition at the end, but but it was kind of the scariest stuff in this movie. Uh, the idea that there's this stained glass window and these these kids have made up this lore because there's a goat with a red eye and when the sun hits at, at a certain time, that red eye starts to glow and you have to stare at that. Uh, I can't remember what they call it. Uh, 
staring at the devil or I, I can't remember. But uh, you have to stare at this eye until the, the sun moves past and it stops glowing. And if you break eye contact with this goat in the stained glass window, then a goat beast, a horrific, monstrous goat beast is going to appear and get you. Uh, I, I don't, they don't really go into detail on that, but... I love the lore. I love it's kind of, you know, kids, you know, urban legends or, 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 you know, folk tales that they tell one another. We used to do that when we were kids. I love that aspect of it. But then when it comes to fruition later, because they have somebody looking at the uh, at the the light in the the eye and then they look away and then all of a sudden the goat in that stained glass window is gone and you've got some of the other characters uh with the with the other girls i think it's the deborah character uh with some of the other girls in the boarding school and all of a sudden this goat monster appears and i like how they don't just show it right away it's it's something in the shadows and then you see a form of a goat in the shadows and then all of a sudden you see the monstrosity that it really is and the fact of it they didn't really have to show you much of it uh to to make it very effective and scary as shit uh probably one of the scenes that i was i was probably tensed up more than any other scene because those are the kind of things that scared me as a kid and where i don't think i'm scared of that stuff as an adult uh there's that fight or flight uh, reaction that i had as a kid to those sorts of things that that kind of kicks in and you start to feel the adrenaline pump and you start to get antsy you start to get the the tingles on the back of your neck uh, because it is some scary shit going back to when i was a kid and then that scene i don't know whether it's the goat monster or the it's it's all the spirit of volok it is all volok that's doing this but all of a sudden the the goat uh, gets into the room and all of a sudden you see girls being tossed all over the place in this room and it's it's funny but not because it's meant to be funny not because it's it's done badly and accidentally funny it is funny because you're like oh my god they went there they put these girls in peril and they paid that peril off uh, no, I don't think any of the girls died. They, you know, some bumps and bruises from being tossed in the walls and and flung across the room. Uh, probably the worst of it, but it was a it was a pretty terrifying scene. And then one of the scenes that I was really looking forward to seeing how it played out. The, the unfortunate thing is that they showed it in the trailer, and I really wish they would have saved it for the movie. It I, it got to the point where I don't even want to watch trailers anymore because they give away so much. Very few trailers actually give you a sense of what the movie is without giving too much away. And the magazine rack scene with Sister Irene was, I mean, it plays out a little longer in the movie than it does in the trailer just for, for timing's sake. And it's a trailer. It can't be too terribly long. But uh, it, it was done so well and so interesting that I thought that's such a cool idea. And even though I had seen it, it was still pretty creepy. And even though I I knew that the, the nun was going to pop out uh, because they showed it in the effing trailer, uh, I was still 
on edge with it because Michael Shavs did a really good job with having patience with this movie. He he let shots linger before really sticking the knife in you with the scare. And, and I thought that's what he did really well with this. I kept expecting the nun to pop out and expecting the nun to pop out and she didn't. And she didn't. I kept kind of, you know, leaning forward a little more and a little more. And then finally, you got that release with the scare, uh, which, like I said, I'd already seen it, but I, the anticipation was built such that that it still worked, even though I'd already seen this in the trailer. If I hadn't, if this would have been a complete surprise, would have played even more frightening. But unfortunately, we'd all seen it before if you watched the trailer going into this. Things could come across as a little complicated when you add the the goat lore into this. They added some lore into this with Saint Lucy. Uh, they bring her up early uh, about uh, you know how how she became a saint, and they it comes back later. And they kind of tied in with some visions that Sister Irene has had. She has these visions, and you really don't know what they mean. And then all of a sudden, she realizes what they mean, tells you real quickly, and then Bob's your uncle. Here's how we're going to come to the end of this. It did feel a little rushed. And maybe because they didn't dwell on it and go into it too quick, maybe that's why it didn't feel too complicated. Maybe if they tried explaining it more, setting it up more, it would have felt a little more convoluted. I don't know. Like I said, it it did feel a little rushed and felt like uh, a convenient bit of plot armor for the character that, oh, well, she's a distant relative of St. Lucy. So now she can defeat Volok. I don't know if you needed that. I think if you would have not done that and played more into Deborah's regaining of faith or or building of faith and and I like how they killed off Volok again. I mean, they went to the well again with the blood of Christ stuff, but they did it in a different way. The first time having a artifact that literally contained the blood of Christ seemed a bit it seemed a bit far-fetched. I won't say it wasn't. This seemed a little more practical. Now, you have to be a firm believer in the Catholic faith to believe this is how it's going to work, but they're down in this wine cellar, and there's this wine casks being broken and wine all over the floor and other wine, and they use the St. Lucy bit to where Irene doesn't catch fire. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you just go watch the movie. You'll know what I'm talking about a little more. Uh, and that is the miracle that's supposed to restore or at least ignite the faith inside of Deborah. And I get that. They just It just felt too fast and too, okay, now I have faith and let's do this. But they perform the words of institution that they use in the Catholic Church for the Eucharist. And in the Catholic Church, when they give you communion, they believe that the wine actually turns into the blood of Christ as you're ingesting it. And and they have a whole thing at the beginning of this about you know it, it being based on faith. But they say these prayers over the wine and essentially turning it to the blood of Christ and the barrels of wine explode and it destroys Volok with the blood of Christ, much like the first movie. Again, going to the well one too many times, maybe uh, I do give them uh, an A for being a little more creative about about it than other than just having, well, here's a convenient 
artifact that contains the actual blood of Christ. But the way this movie ends, you know, our, our heroes saved the day. Uh, Irene and Deborah have, have vanquished the demon. I really thought they were going to kill off the Maurice character. I probably shouldn't have because... The funny thing about the Maurice character, and I think that's where we're leading into the third movie, is the Maurice character was introduced in The Conjuring because when the mother first goes to see Ed and Lorraine Warren and they're given some sort of talk, kind of like a TED talk before TED talks were a thing about uh, uh, <laughs> getting rid of demons, they show some archival footage where they performed a an exorcism, if you will, on this man and that is the maurice character and of course in the first nun we find out how he initially became possessed in the nun 2 we see that he was possessed we think that volick is gone but at the end you know he walks off with kate and sophie to be a happy family and we know that he's probably still possessed uh, because I think that's where they're going to go with the third film. They're going to make this a true trilogy. And by the addition of the mid credit scene, where you have Ed and Lorraine Warren getting a, a phone call from a Father Gordon, I believe the name was, I think The Nun 3 is where we're going to see that exorcism of Maurice. We're going to find that he was possessed all the time. Ed and Lorraine Warren are going to be called in to perform this exorcism. Irene will probably be involved. Deborah will probably be involved. And and that's where we're going to see, I think, the, the Nun 3 go whenever that comes about. And whenever that does come about, I hope Keila Cooper is involved with the writing and... I wouldn't be disappointed if Michael Shavs was at the director's helm. Because from a storytelling standpoint, a writing standpoint, uh, while there were some things that seemed a little rushed and seemed a little convenient, ultimately was a good story, which I think the first nun lacked was a really engaging story and, and characters you really like. So I think this is a win there. And from a directing standpoint, I, I thought it was was done very well. I mean, for the most part, there was some pretty good pace to the movie. I never really felt like I was bored at any part of it. And when you've got two different storylines going on, some storylines seem more intriguing than others. But I think both held my attention uh, well enough that when you go from one story to the other and back, uh, it, it didn't really break the pace of the movie. And from a direction standpoint as far as the acting, I thought he got good performances out of everyone. I thought... All the scenes were really done well. All the scenes were uh, great at creating the atmosphere that led up to the scare. And that that's really what you want in a horror movie. E even the scenes where we got uh, a bit of exposition or we got some character development, all, at least in some form or fashion, had a, an air about it that, that led to a, a creepy uneasy feeling that you got like i said that eventually led up to a scare from a kill standpoint uh, th there wasn't very many great kills in this uh, i will say that I, I think the first one with the priest 
catching on fire. Uh, that was probably the grisliest kill in this. Uh, the old lady that runs the boarding school. Uh, her story, uh, while it was compelling, uh, you know, uh, uh, an older woman grieving over the loss of her son. Uh, that's why the chapel is shut down because he died there. It, it really did feel unnecessary. And bringing her back as a ghost or as a an apparition or even a vision that Balak is creating later uh, just felt like another way to add some more scares in but it really didn't play into the bigger picture I thought if you're gonna do the goat thing you don't do her uh, because it just that was one aspect that felt like a little too much they were just going in too many different directions trying to get scares wherever they could they could have uh, truncated that whole bit by by leaving out that character altogether. At least the ghostly apparition of that character. If you want a body count, uh, she was fine for for adding a, a another person to die. But uh, not a ton of really grisly kills in this uh, that we saw. Now there was a a laundry list of of people that they, of course, uh, reveal are all related to St. Lucy uh, in the priesthood killed across Europe that we, maybe we could have seen a few more of those here and there just just quickly. I think that could have led to some, some more grisly kills. Very quick. You don't even have to set up a whole lot. Just a, a real quick scene with a real gruesome murder. And that really would have amped up the menace and the what the hell is going on before we even know it's Volok. I mean, we just probably suspect it from the beginning just because it is the nun too. And why would it be anything else? But uh, but I, I would have liked to have seen a little more of that. Granted, you got to take some things away. And, and I don't know where you take anything away from this to to accommodate for that maybe the bit with the the lady that runs the boarding school i don't know but that would have been a good way to add a little more gore and a little bigger body count uh raise the stakes some more and make it just a little bit more of a gruesome movie but ultimately it was a movie that i did enjoy because i like i said i, I really like the story i like the characters i like that it had a story that i care about and characters that i care about uh where the first movie didn't really have that uh, this you actually got a story not just a circumstance that our two main characters are thrown into with the addition of a, a third main character that that shows up later uh, this you got more of a, a good story arc and a good storytelling movie. Uh, so I, I like that. It was creepy. It was eerie. It did have some really good scares. And don't get me wrong, this isn't the greatest horror movie of all time. This isn't even the greatest horror movie this year. But this was a really good horror movie. If you liked The First Nun, I think you'll love this one because I think it's a, it's a much better movie. If you didn't like the first Nun movie from 2018, give this one a chance because probably all the things you didn't like about that movie, this movie does better and really adds uh, a better movie-going, entertaining experience all around. I mean, you do get uh, a good story and you do get some good scares. And I don't think you got all of that in that first one, but you get it here and you get it in spades. So like I said, not the best movie of the year horror-wise, but a really good movie that, you know, where I wasn't excited going from one to two, I'm kind of excited now going from two to three. I can't wait to see where the story is going to go from here 
with the Nun 3 that you have to imagine is coming in the not-too-distant future. Hopefully, we don't have to wait five years for it. But, you know, uh, COVID really cocked up a lot of things. So uh, I, I imagine we won't have to wait that long. But uh, when we do find out what's going down with the Nun 3, when it inevitably happens, uh, you'll hear about it right here with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our social pages and whatnot. So... Those are my thoughts on The Nun 2. Uh, definitely worth a watch. Uh, definitely enjoyable movie. Like I said, not the greatest, but still a really good horror offering for 2023. And uh, again, a movie that got me excited about a sequel. Uh, I couldn't say that about the first one. So go check it out if you haven't watched The Nun 2. And uh, if you have, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Nun 2. You can check out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our social pages. Uh, Facebook, we're always posting trailers and articles I find all over the internet. Uh, add my two cents on horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram. We're always posting uh, different memes and holidays and uh, whatever I can find there. And uh, both pages, you can stay on top of what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop whenever we have a new episode drop. So check us out on our socials. No matter where you're listening to this podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you're listening to the podcast, please follow it, subscribe to it, like it, whatever your platform of choice calls it. Please do that. Share the podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. It helps with the algorithms and getting the word out about our podcast. And, and you know, I, I noticed this the other day. I saw somebody on, I believe it was the show, one of the Shudder uh, horror fan pages. Uh, I love Shudder. Uh, we've got a, a new movie I'm hoping to watch sometime in the near future that uh, is on Shudder and uh, we'll hopefully talk about it on the podcast. But uh, somebody was asking, does anybody know of any good horror podcasts? You see stuff like that? Please feel free to mention Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Uh, you know, help uh, get our name out there so we can introduce new people to the podcast. If you love what you listen to, if you like what you listen to, or maybe you're ambivalent at best, but I provide some sort of ASMR experience for you and uh, I help relax you, put you to sleep, or whatever, uh, please share it because who knows? There might be somebody on that page that needs that as well. Uh, but hopefully you'll share the page uh, on, on social media uh, platforms where they uh, they ask about uh, a horror podcasts or science fiction podcasts or fantasy podcasts. Uh, hopefully you're sharing it because you actually like the content. And you know, I'm always working on trying to make the content better, uh, trying to make my opinions and my commentary, the places I go to in talking about movies uh, a little better. I'm always trying to make the podcast and what I do better. So uh, hopefully you know this is a this is a living organism here at odds bodkins curiosity shop not just talking about the shop itself but me and uh always looking to grow and become better and creepier and more horrifying so i want to thank everyone for listening to today's episode be listening for more and until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>